What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Fan, and with me joining is John Krajewski. <laughs> yeah, I knew I would be. How's that? Pretty close. close. John Krajewski. Thanks. Krajewski. Great to be here. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, John. Uh, so this is part of the podcast where I let our guest, which is yourself, to introduce yourself to the listeners out there of where you been, where you at right now, where you heading? Just a little short preview uh, before we get going. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a founder, CEO of a company called Strange Loop Games, and we're building a virtual world game called Eco, which is currently out on Steam and taking it to the next level, expanding it, creating some new stuff for it. So a uh, pretty exciting place right now. Uh, my background is I used to work at EA uh, over in Brisbane, Australia. I uh, worked at Midway before that. So I've worked in a number of AAA titles and then started my own shop about uh, 14 years ago. We've grown it to 32 people. Got an awesome team, really passionate global team. Uh, we run a remote studio. We hire from our community a lot. Uh, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride and our, our latest game has really been, uh, resonated with people more than any of the other ones we've done. So this is something that we're like expanding. We want to turn it into a platform and really start to, to grow it a lot. For those who haven't clicked through, can you kind of talk about what, what your latest game is and. <clears throat> sure. So games called eco. And the idea is you are building a virtual society inside of an ecosystem. So everything you do impacts the environment and you are doing this with other people. So you have to make decisions as a group and decide kind of the course of this world. Uh, and the threat to the world is there's a meteor that's going to hit the planet in 30 real life days. And so you have to build up technology. You start from just a pure wilderness and you are building technology, doing research, creating an industry, an economy, a government. Uh, advancing this world all the way to, you know, the modern day where you can have the technology to stop this, this meteor from uh, impacting the earth. So not only can you, there's kind of these bookended threats of there's this meteor going to hit the planet, but you can also destroy the ecosystem in the process. So a huge part of the game is uh, kind of just leading this group, like running this virtual society because it's all real people. You have to make decisions as a group. So you can create a government, you can create laws, uh, those laws are binding within the server. So players are really able to kind of craft, you know, not just the physical shape of this world and their their homes and buildings and towns and roads and everything, but also like the civic structure. So you're creating the government, you're creating the economy, you're defining how things should work. You're creating a constitution uh, within the economy. You can buy and sell goods, but also services. You can have contracts between each other. So it's really the game. The focus of the game is this, this idea of a, like a living kind of society that grows over time that you're advancing with other people and all the just emergent stuff that happens from there. So, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, been super fun to work on and, uh, still in early access, but we're, uh, and we got a big update coming, uh, Eco 10 is about to release, which has a bunch of new stuff. And uh, yeah, and then we have, have big plans for it beyond that as well. Well, I want to just say congratulations for you guys' success. And uh, can you kind of give us a little idea when you guys first released an early uh, release? Yeah, we were 2018 on Steam. Uh, we we're a couple, we we're like a few months before that on our website. But uh, yeah, so it's been five years in early development. Um, 
and we've had a chance to grow the team from our basically, you know, being able to have revenue during that time lets us like actually grow the team and start to accelerate development. Uh, we're currently raising funding, uh, talking to some VCs. So that'll kind of be used for our next stage. Uh, but yeah, it's been a good process. There's a lot of things I want to circle back to just the idea of early release and, you know, the whole mystery there when it comes to like, you know, the decision making. But the mo- number one reason why I was super excited to talk to you is like, of course, you know, you're doing everything you can to avoid the word metaverse. But like the last two years, right? You know, that mm-hmm. was one of the buzzwords and it got exciting. And then now it's kind of, you know, has like a bad taste in people's mouth because of how people were branding it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to us, this is just a regular game to our industry. You know, we've been build, building these kind of ecosystems, this idea of like like MMOs, like people socializing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for listeners out there, I would love to kind of hear your view on what is the concept of a metaverse, mm-hmm. uh, and for those who are not familiar with it, and you know what 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 is your idea that a metaverse, quote unquote, should aspire to? You know, at least the good things that people are attracted to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You notice I kind of avoid that word just because it is such a like loaded term yes. now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of really great ideas that come with the metaverse, but it has been pretty deeply associated with some stuff that consumers are, you know, especially gamers are not particularly into, uh, namely Web3 and crypto. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I feel like a lot of the ideas that were kind of crystallizing as the metaverse were really just old ideas. It was basically like second life again. Yes. It's like, okay, we already had this. We've had this for like 20 years. This isn't exactly new. You're just adding like crypto purchases in it and calling it a metaverse. Yeah. But I think there is this potential for, I mean, kind of the way that I see the metaverse is this transition from worlds being just places where customers go and they pay and they get an experience, you know, in like a game to they are citizens of these worlds. They're creating these worlds. They are the value in these worlds and they get to share in that value as well. So this idea that, you know, it's it's not just a, a a theme park you go into, you have the experience, but like you're going there, you're like kind of building this like life in a sense. You're having these relationships with other people that are meaningful. You're doing meaningful things. You're doing these big goals, kind of societal goals. And it's a world where like your decisions matter. There's like consequences to the world. So there's kind of the three like key factors, I think, that would make up a a really interesting metaverse and some people are working on those. I think a lot of the metaverse things that came out before were not really in that direction as much. They were more just kind of experiences versus like, you know, places where you're creating something. So for me, that's really exciting. That idea that, you know, you can have these, these worlds that have their life of their own created by the players, you know, they're kind of these living, breathing entities of their own and then you can start to connect them as well so that's where the meta part of the metaverse comes in is that you can connect this is what we're building with eco so you can have eco world that connects to a different eco world or another sequel world or like a a modded world that somebody's made you can actually move between these and players kind of define how those connections work uh so within that world you know you're you're you can host not just an individual world, but like this galaxy of worlds that you can move between and connect to. And you can take that even a step further where you have other games that could potentially start connecting it. 
So I kind of see it as like a, a bottom-up thing. I like the bottom-up approach of we're creating these worlds. We're allowing connections between other worlds to happen and um, letting other games connect to that as well versus trying to make the walled garden that has like, you know, a million people in it in this this shared like room, right? Like the, I feel like that's kind of a dead end, but that's where a lot of the the direction is is focused. Whereas like building things up, letting these communities form organically and connecting them is a lot more powerful. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I completely agree with you. Like the, the the loaded term, I mean, you know, the idea of the metaverse is kind of like when I see people who are seeking to meet, build a metaverse are, are, are like falling into the traps of early development, early game developers, right? Where like they're trying to build many things at once and none of it really refined. And like you said, it's like you got a bottom up approach. It's, you know, there are systems and things that needs to happen. You know, you're, if you're trying to make a world that a million people want to hang out in. I mean, can you, you got to answer the question, do five people want to hang out there first? Uh, totally. And that alone, game design wise, is very difficult to kind of be captivating enough for, for others to kind of spend and want to spend a lot of their time in and invest, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, you know, uh, I would like to kind of further ask, and you kind of touched this a bit, being an experienced game developer. Um, you know, what, what's your view on, on kind of like the, the evolution with virtual worlds? You know, you mentioned before, yeah, we've had Second Life, right, to, to a great success. And it seems like everyone forgot about it, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, and the attempts nowadays are, are like laughable compared to what we had back then, right? And we're talking about decades, decades after. Yeah. With billions of dollars, billions of dollars that Meta, you know, the yeah. formerly known as Facebook is pointing. It's like, what is going on here? So I would love <laughs> to kind of hear like being from the game developer perspective, building, you know, essentially what people want, but in a very, you know, game developer focused way. Mm -hmm. How are you viewing these takes, these understandings, these, these misconceptions? Yeah, I think that a lot of the kind of metaverse projects that came out were coming from people outside of the games industry. And so that's why the ideas kind of seemed like dated to gamers. It's like, we've been doing that for 20 years. Yeah. But to this kind of new expansion of the game industry, you know, into this whole new potential group of people, this was, you know, an interesting uncharted territory. And, um, but yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a really interesting evolution of, of these virtual worlds over time. You think of like second life, you think of, uh, even PlayStation uh, had a home once. <laughs> yeah. Those ones to games like Ultima online, Ultima online is my favorite game of all time. That was the, the one that really kind of piqued my interest of this like living world where anything could kind of happen. It was it's pretty unpredictable. I mean, you got lots of like unbalanced stuff would happen, but that was kind of part of the fun. Like you, get your house robbed and lose like months of work yeah but it was a super fascinating game games like eve you know they've kind of branched out into a lot of different ways like you have like eve is just this virtual universe that's been online for like god i don't know 15 years or something yeah 
and it just has this like rich history to it. You can read about these battles where people are losing hundreds of thousands of dollars, real money worth of spaceships, yeah. like battling each other. And that's just awesome. That's just this, this virtual place that happens. Uh, and then you kind of have these other directions of, uh, I think a good example is like Grand Theft Auto, uh, like role play servers mm-hmm. where people will play on Twitch and kind of, you know, act out these, uh, you know, roles in the world. And I think that's, that kind of gives a, a hint at the direction that these virtual worlds could go where you're not just co-opting a game to, you know, pretends and play this kind of role play thing, but you're like, the game is actually simulating that there's an actual society there that, you know, whatever role you're doing is needed and it, it fits into the gameplay in a lot deeper way. So that's kind of one important direction I see is going. It's kind of what we're, we're working on building with eco. Um, but yeah, it's uh it's a super fascinating space. And I think there's some big things that we haven't really seen a lot of yet, like uh, connecting worlds together. There's not many games that like allow you to kind of connect to other worlds within those, mm-hmm. within that same ecosystem or to other games. But there's huge potential for like, how do you define that? Because once you start defining that, then you have this, you know, not just a singular place, but this whole like country, this whole like territory of different games you can connect to, move between. I mean, Roblox is kind of the, the cool example of that, because even though the the games are are very like mini games are pretty basic, like small games, they're not like virtual persistent worlds. But you have this meta layer that works really well where you can take your character between these two and you can have your community through all of these. So seeing kind of you kind of see elements of everything, I think, uh, popping up and that, you know, the games of the future are going to be combining those things. So that you're having all of these, you're having connected worlds, you're having deep and rich worlds and they're created by players. Players are creating content. Players are earning money in these games um, and having just like really rich like relationships and experiences. So yeah, it's it's very fast moving uh, the history of virtual worlds right now. I'm excited to see mm-hmm. and help build where it goes next. So being in the forefront of uh, applying a lot of these principles, like with Eco, it, it seems like you you and your team are, are very much kind of like looking at what's going on right now with the real world and applying a you know in a in a in a fun way uh, for people to be like you said, citizens of the virtual world and eco. Your games are, are, is very deep, right? There's legislature, there's, you know, it goes all the way to like, what if it ends tomorrow? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, well, the type of players that are coming into, the, in, into your universe, what is the common theme here where uh, you feel like it, this type of thing needs to exist, right? For the longest time, people are engrossed in, in video games and are looking more and more ways to interact, be more involved. Basically, in a 24-hour day, they're looking to more, spend more and more time attracted to virtual worlds. Like, what what is the implicit danger and benefit of that that you're seeing, like, one mm-hmm. is too much is too much, right? One is not enough, not enough. And what are they escaping from or trying to benefit from? Yeah. By I think there is, yeah, there's with games kind of this, you know, effect of disconnecting and kind of, it feels like games give you this, like, you know, the sense of achievement is really important to games that you're doing something like valuable. Yeah. 
And if that's like a replacement for the achieving things in real life, you know, that's not good. It's a substitute instead. Yeah. I think where games really shine, where they're the best is when they're giving you that sense of achievement that comes from like achievements that are also relevant outside of the game. So like in eco, you have to like run a government with real people. You have to like have debates and like decide how you want to run this world and then see how it runs. And you actually like, you know, see what happens to the pollution level, see what happens to your economy, your society. So you're really uh, kind of using these real world models within the game such that it's valuable outside of the game as well. So I think that gives a lot of additional like, you know, value kind of takes it out of the the realm of being like kind of exploitive or just like a distraction to something that like can be useful to you outside of the game. And the relationships that you build inside of a game are meaningful, you know, their relationships with real people. And that's, you know, intrinsically like valuable. So I think for me, it's like, it's not so much the time spent playing games. It's like what you're doing that matters, you know, screen, not all screen time is created equally. Mm-hmm think that if you're just spending time like in these worlds where you're just like blasting people up and just kind of getting lost in that it's it's not necessarily a good thing whereas if you are you know building something you're creating something you're connecting with people you're uh you know you're learning stuff i think games have a tremendous ability to just be educational in a way that isn't like hitting you over the head with it i mean i kind of think of eco eco actually had a grant from department of education because it simulates all these real world systems so I think of doing that in a way that's like, you know, it's naturally fun to learn. I think school kind of makes it unfun. <laughs> so there's a, there's a ton of potential in making games that have these rich, deep kind of simulations of the real world that you have to understand in order to succeed in the world that then you take outside of it as well. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's kind of the direction to go. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of, um, as game developers, we see a lot of benefits in real world situations i mean we're we're seeing a lot of non-game designers trying to gamify things for education right and i i think we we had a guest on that was talking about that movement and although the temp is great it, it's kind of like how the tech tech bros are kind of taking the metaverse into like this <laughs> yeah. direction and they're not quite doing you know the the the, the depth that a game developer would do to kind of apply these principles mm-hmm. in, in, into educational system as, as good as we would, right. Uh, just surface level stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on that because a lot of what you're doing is like, you know, it's very educational. You're taking real world systems and applying it into the game so that people are learning by accident mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or at least thinking about it. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that that was a huge, at least informational discovery to kind of make it work within the game itself. What were you finding that was missing that people were had at least uh, uh, are able to reach for it, but are not simply looking for the answers themselves so that you have to kind of trick them into like, hey, let's learn about this stuff. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I think with the traditional kind of educational games, it's usually putting the game wrapper around educational framework. So you still have all the, you know, the trappings of education of like homework and tests and quizzes and grades. And, you know, I I think games like they don't really need that. 
you know, they're kind of their own motivating factor. Like you play a game, you're instantly, you know, you're motivated by it because you care about it. You're not motivated by it because you have to do it to get a grade or you're going to get in trouble with your parents or something. So just that, that underlying feature of like what's motivating about it is so much more powerful than games, you know, which just because people voluntarily will play games. They don't usually voluntarily want to do homework. So I think it's a better base to start from. It's better to start with the, the game framework and to kind of redesign education to, to fit that. So for me, it was just kind of thinking about like my experience with games, what, uh, what was really impactful playing for me. Games like, uh, I remember playing Civilization uh, when I was a kid. And like, I hated history when I was a kid. I was like, God, oh, this is just a bunch of boring dates and like names and like stupid yeah, things. Like that. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I play Civilization and it's like, oh my God, I'm in it. I can like see how all of this is connected. I can like put myself in the shoes of like somebody trying to like build this, you know, city, build this technology. You have these like heroes that come up from like actual people through the ages. And it's like, oh, what did this guy do? And you're, you're just, and I would go and like read all the histories of these people. And that just, to me, just gave me this like context that I totally lacked from history. And I started to love it after that. So, and that was all just from a game. And I think that that's kind of a, you know, that I don't think that we need to like completely replace education with games, but I think that games can be such, they can form a better kind of motivational framework, you know, that we don't, we shouldn't ignore that with education, this idea of like, why do I need to learn this? You know, well, because you're going to get a grade and you have to do it. Whereas like games, it's like you want to learn it, you know, it motivates you in a way. So I think that the education has a ton to learn from games and it'll kind of, it'll take time for it to get there. Um, but yeah, we've had classrooms that use eco and they'll actually have like their classroom in this eco world, figuring out what they want to do. And they'll like talk about it inside the classrooms. So this is really cool experience of what they're, what's going on in these, these worlds, you know, it's all just kind of naturally happening. It's not being like forced upon them and it can kind of connect well to their classwork as well. So they're like, you know, they write a, write a essay about it or like have a group discussion about it. So I think that, uh, yeah, there's a ton of potential there. That's, that's kind of taken a long time and education is a very hard industry to move. But, uh, you know, cause it's very tied up in like government mandates and like, you know, it's a government run thing. So it's, it's not going to move as fast as like business does. So we kind of take it from the aspect of like, we build a great game that people want to play. It has these educational elements that you can bring it into the classroom if you want, or it's just, you know, naturally you're going to be learning as you play. I think that's, that's the right route to go. Now, naturally, when you guys are building a game such as eco, if you were to just track you know, from the date of when you guys went into early release, which is 2017, 2018, right? Uh, to now, in the past five years, things have changed greatly. And even if you look at the last year with AI technology, you're talking about, you know, do students being demotivated naturally, right? If there's ever a time to be even more demotivated to actually research and learn things, it's kind of now as well. Yeah. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts as kind of like a uh, semi-educator uh, looking at the landscape of like in terms of motivation, being a game developer as well. What What is going on with the youth out here? Do they have mm -hmm. a chance you know, to kind of <laughs> aspire to learn anything when the answers, especially in this kind of influencer, I want my information now, impatient kind of general attitude towards learning things 
what chance do they have? I mean, what, what are your thoughts about what's going on right now? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, it's such a time of like uncertainty. Like we don't, what's it going to, what are kids that are going to school now going to need to know how to do in the future? And it's like, well, that's really hard to say because AI is kind of set to like change the entire world in, in really fundamental ways, I think. And we've just had some recent breakthroughs that kind of show the potential for that. Like, you know, that for, for a long time, there was like nothing. And then suddenly there's a chat GPT out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's not like chat GPT, like started as a baby and it had to like grow up and learn. Like it was born, like knowing yeah. everything and it can answer <laughs> millions of people in seconds. Like, yeah. and it's just boom there. And there's going to be more breakthroughs like that, that are just going to like transform the world, I think. So in terms of like, what, what should you study in a world where this is going on, you know? I don't think you can really like predict, like, here's the skills you're going to need. Here's what's particularly what you're going to need. And what, what's better to focus on is just your like curiosity, your adaptability, you know, that interest in the world and developing that so that you're, you know, as this world like evolves and changes in really deep and fundamental ways, you're like connected to it, engaging it, curious about it. You can adapt to it. You can like, function really well inside of this society as it changes and figure out kind of your place in there. So it's a big change for education because education traditionally has always been about like, we're going to train people to be this role that we know we need in society. We don't have that anymore. We don't know what roles we're going to need like 20 years from now. So, so you have to train them in a different way. You have to train them to be like students of the world, students of, you know, life and like love learning, love, uh, you know, curio have curiosity about everything. And that's where games, I think, excel well beyond like classwork is that they engage you in stuff. They kind of show you like, here's why this, you know, civilization, like, here's why history is interesting. It's like, oh, let me get into that. Let me explore that. You know, it just kind of breeds this culture of like minds that you are approaching things in a different way, that you are the agent who is like deciding what you want to learn. You were adapting and exploring and you have curiosity about all these different elements. And I think that's the skills that we're going to need. So that's why I see games as like such a key part of what we're doing with uh, education in this kind of new world that's happening right now. Yeah, there's just, there's definitely um, curiosity is king, right? And I feel like, yeah, it is in danger right now of uh, everything with AI tools, AI chatbots kind of coming abroad and, and taking over day one um games i agree is a great engaging tool to kind of make this happen uh, i'm even to the extreme that as an educator i feel like you need to have some kind of strong game design background at least take a class right in, in college mm -hmm. uh there is this subculture that's been brewing that I've, I've always poked fun of, but like the subculture in the gamer community. But overall, I, I think all, all youth are kind of having this where they they would rather watch people play games than play games now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's not like the industry is hurting. We're growing stronger than ever. A lot of, you know, gamers that want to play in terms of industry, we're, we're we've grown right mm -hmm. but there's this culture of just people just strictly watching people play games mm -hmm. and there's overall on youtube people just watching people watch youtube like reaction videos like it's a thing right, <laughs> right. which uh i don't quite 
exactly understand. I, I don't even know if there's studies out there that does this threaten people to interact, to even engage now, or is it just like one of these small brewing pastime things that, you know, they just multitask and if they're mm-hmm. not playing, at least they're involved in some of them. I guess that's not such a bad thing. Uh, yeah. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts about that. Sure. Yeah. Well, for us, Twitch uh, and streaming is, is like our main marketing source people who, you know, when somebody streams the game, our sales are, we just see it like boost up. So like be like, Hey, French sales in France are 10 X what they usually are. What's going on. Oh, this French streamer with like 2 million people is playing eco right now. So there is a lot of connection between like, you know, you watch people play something and then you might try it. It's kind of a way to discover things. Yeah. But even if you already know it, it's also a way to like, kind of connect, I think. And it's this feeling of like, I think it's kind of a neat direction that the thing you're watching is something that you can participate in. You know, it's it's very different from a TV show where it's, you know, purely imaginative, um, which is great, but it's just, it's a kind of a different thing of this is, it's almost like watching a sport or something that you can play. And I think that those connections are going to grow deeper so that, you know, you can watch something and then like, participate as a viewer in a way that you start to, you know, that, that blend between audience and like participants starts to, starts to kind of become like a spectrum so that you can participate in the, you know, in the world through Twitch, perhaps actually we're building a a plugin for eco so that if you're watching an eco stream, you'll get this panel that pops up on Twitch that says, you know, like here's the elections that are going on, Mm -hmm. you know, you can vote in these elections. And so then Twitch viewers can have a a say in these, in the like government of the game. Mm -hmm. So it adds this element of like the audience is is part of the experience or connecting to the experience more. And that's something that we just want to keep expanding is like, you can jump into these worlds, you know, eventually that you have like a streamer that has a whole kind of galaxy of connected worlds. You're able to go and like join and play and interact in this world that they're uh, playing in and be part of it. So I really see like, it's a step towards merging this like audience creators and participants, you know, just watching somebody play a video game that I also play is interesting. But then once you can like participate in that in a deeper way, it's, it's the next level. So I think it's a, it's a kind of a cool effect. I mean, there's probably a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are just watching and not actually playing, but I think it's, you know, there's the potential there to, to bring people into the fold, to have this really deeper, richer, more connected experience through streaming. So I see it as a positive thing. Yeah. Uh, over the past years, I guess you know, since social media got kind of introduced, uh, there does seem to be like a hunger for for connection, right? Especially with the pandemic, during the pandemic, and I still see kind of residue from that. Uh, funny enough, like there's more social isolation, like people I see it with my kids, even with my, he's, he's a teenager, mm. like just to compare it to where I was at that age, it was easier for me to kind of make friends and be outside. Right. And there's yeah. definitely like this struggle. I feel like of how he can step outside of his comfort and, and just make friends, you mm. know, uh, where I can only equate it to just we have this accessibility that is greater than ever, you know, in a click of a button, a text, you can instantly connect with people. Right. Mm-hmm. 
but it also feels like there's a wedge to how things used to be. Yeah. Uh, just being in kind of like these virtual worlds a lot, building eco and then seeing this happening, I'm sure you're seeing with the youth and, you know, younger kids nowadays. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? <laughs> yeah. I remember growing up and like going through trails in my, in the yeah, woods yeah. behind my house and like, going on rope swings over like ravines and crazy dangerous shit that like yeah. <laughs> is gone not tolerated. For the day, see you at dinner. Yeah. 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 I just take my bike out. My dog would come with me. It was great having those adventures, but that's really not like culturally acceptable anymore, at least typically in the U S I mean, I hope yeah. there's still parents that kind of allow that, but really the, the territory that kids have swapped to is to do that kind of thing, to have these like character building ad adventures is games. Yeah. So that kind of is, uh, you know, a safer alternative. Um, I wouldn't say like it shouldn't be a replacement because I think, you know, those experiences were great for me. They let you just learn about like risk taking and whatever else. But you can also have experiences in games that you can't have in reality. You know, you're building these these really deep, intricate structures or solving these like world changing problems or like, yeah. you know, trying out all these different kind of like skills and, and doing different things. So I think there are advantages to that idea that like video games are the new like territory for people to to kind of explore and build themselves and as you have uh you know all these virtual worlds that are featuring lots of real people you can actually have relationships in these that start to become meaningful you know and that the the fidelity of these relationships is continuing to grow so like I remember when I was a kid, you would just, you know, I'd play Ultima online and there were people in the game and we'd like chat or whatever. And you'd see their like little avatar. But now it's like you have voice chat. You have, uh, you know, really detailed avatars. We're actually making a feature where your webcam will analyze your face and match your avatar's expression in the game. So that just facilitates a lot more like kind of human connection within these games where you can like see them talking, you know, you see their lips are like synced to what they're saying. You see their expressions, you see their hands moving. You can have deeper relationships because of that. So I, I really think that that gives a lot of uh, additional value to, you know, people who are spending a lot of time in these games is that you're connecting with real people. You're doing interesting stuff, you know, and then the environment of the game makes a big difference for how, how that social dynamic plays out. You know, if it's like a shooting game or you're playing something like rust where it's like, everyone's kind of an asshole because you kind of have to be in that game or you're playing something, you know, like our game is more about like building the society, collaborating, you know, you have conflicts, but like trying to resolve them or like, how do you handle those is a big part of the game. And that just kind of breeds a different kind of relationship than other, like a, you know, a shooting game or a violent game that I think is, it's a, you know, makes for really powerful connections. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting evolving space. And uh, I hope we don't lose that, like going out in the woods and, you know, riding your bikes till, till dinner though, that would be a shame. <laughs> I, I, I definitely see kids more, <laughs> at least uh, not, I think by habit, they just don't know how to do those things anymore. I, like mm -hmm. I just really, it's weird. It's because I always see my kid as like, hey, yeah, just hang out because he does all these activities, obviously, you know, always surrounded more so than me, right? With strangers that he sees three times a week for basketball practice or whatever, right? I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, you want to hang out? Just hang out with them. I mean, I didn't have cell phones back then. And yeah, 
I feel bad enough that I gave him a cell phone. He's like, well, you know, it's a hand-me-down. Just might as well just have it than just uh-huh. keep it in the closet, right? Mm-hmm. But he's having just this difficult time to just like, hey, mm-hmm. you want to hang out? You know, it's like, can you ask for me? It's like, I'm, why would I ask his parent? Interesting. <laughs> you know, you're, yeah, you're 12, right? So it's like, it's uh, yeah. it's it's a weird thing that I attribute to like, right? You know, it's just a weird time. Plus, I can't imagine being a kid through COVID either. Like the, I feel like there's going to be a long-term study of like, oh, kids in their teenage years, grade school years that went through that, you know, what kind of like long-term effect does it bear? Years are really like taken from them. I think that's isolating. So I think those are going to be, we're going to find out 10 years. Oh yeah. It did fuck them up. It's <laughs> yeah. surprise. Do you right. think with your kids, is it social media that's kind of having the opposite effect of like building walls between them? Or what do you think is the, the source of that? Well, I mean, a lot of that too is like, I, I I'm, I'm like you, right. As a kid, I, I kind of grew up through just hanging out and seeing my mom at night. I really didn't even have any censorship in, in terms of what I played. And, you know, I was playing GTA. I was playing whatever I want, watch whatever I want. I have very little restrictions. Uh, and I was a pretty straight edge kid just by, you know, my moral compass was good or whatever. So I didn't really get in too much trouble, right? Just typical teenage trouble. Mm. But I can see it with even with my wife, how she is like worried about like, well, I mean, there's there's pedophiles outside. It's like outside everywhere. <laughs> like there's everywhere. <laughs> it's like he's just going across the street with his friend. Like, there's, yeah. I think a lot of it's parental wise is just this. She just there's this inclination that the world is more dangerous now, which I feel like cannot be true. It's, it's got to be safer now more than before. Yeah. Um, just the pure fact that everyone wants, everybody wants to be isolated and stay at home. Right. <laughs> we work in the industry. Everybody's at home. Um, we were just more like aware of stuff that happens. So even though there's not more of it, we're like more sensitive. Yes. To it. Well, yeah. My wife is guilty of being on next door all the time. It's like, get off that app. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's like you're seeing things that i never see oh, i was like there's five coyotes just parading in our neighborhoods i never see any of this <laughs> but like, like yeah the accessibility of information in in that case is, is like mm-hmm. where it is detrimental to the actual reality of things right yeah. so i i think it definitely uh kind of pollutes kind of like this fictional idea of what's actually happening because it is a lot of information and I, I, I don't think we're mm. supposed to know everything all the time, right? Yeah, it, it clouds judgment, it feels like. Negative um, effect of uh, information age, too much information. Too much information, exactly. Um, but I, I will kind of go back to you to kind of ask this idea of um, everyone's trying to connect. It's better than ever. Uh, Metaverse has a bad brand to it right now, but the underlying idea is still very attractive. You know, I, I often kind of bring up the fact that I look at Ready Player One and I'm actually attracted to that, <laughs> right? People look, you know, besides the ending and the corporate and the ads or whatever, you know, all the dangers of it. I was like, oh, that's really cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, but there, there's also this weird uh, connection that people ought to look, automatically make right you know vr and metaverse is one of the same when it's not right i mean yeah. you, we we named all these 
game worlds that we've developed in the game industry for the last 20 years and they've always been just on a flat screen right not first person third person all types of perspective wow eve all these games that has nothing to do with vr right but there's this obsession right now that the metaverse is vr you know where sometimes i feel like it is kind of again tech bros not understanding why people like the metaverse per se right so what is your kind of take because in those last five years of course vr was got popular before you guys went into early release but in your development you probably saw like this Mm -hmm. marriage of of ideas i would love to kind of hear your take on how vr can enhance or not really uh, i see it as like just another kind of entry point another way to like connect to these to these virtual worlds you can log in through vr or you can be like use a traditional screen or maybe have your phone and you have like kind of a different way to interact there so i like the idea of like places that you connect to and you can connect to it in in different ways so in that sense i think vr could fit in really well (laughs) that it's not you know it's not something that's for everybody just because not everyone likes i get sick when i like move around in vr which mm-hmm. you know i can only use it for a little while typically it's really cool and i I wish i didn't have that but i don't really want to like spend hours in that uh you know thing strapped to my face trying to like have these interactions but it does give you this like depth of interaction with people that you don't get otherwise so i think it's a trade-off that'll you know as the technology gets better it'll evolve and become you know more adaptable i think things like uh AR is interesting as I think that can succeed VR quite a bit. Like, you know, Apple's new goggles could be really cool, but just that idea of like, you're still kind of in the real world will make it a lot more appealing to most consumers who don't want to just like shut off and look like an idiot wearing this thing on their face um, for eight hours a day. But it does open up some like, some really interesting new ways to connect in a deeper way. It just represents you in a, in a game so much deeper that you can like, you know, see people just look around. It's just more natural interface. So I like the potential for it. I think that it's not really there yet. I mean, we kind of thought, should we add VR support to eco? It's like, well, there's not really a lot of demand for it. It'd be, you know, some people try it out as a cool novelty, but it's not going to like move the needle much lately. But I think that'll change over time, especially with AR. So it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting where it's going. It's still got a little ways to get there, I think. I would love to kind of go back, you know, you know, the studio building of what you guys got at Strange Loop, right? So mm-hmm. Your extensive experience working in AAA, finally making that jump, right? Um, in particular, you know, the idea of early release is um, it's very steam uh centric right i don't think any other even epic doesn't even have that yet but steam have always had like this option right it's like hey we're not ready yet we're still building we want to build it with the community uh before you guys did that what were the risks and benefits you guys were weighing uh before making that decision because obviously it's paying off you guys are still in early release building the game but before that happened like what were you guys thinking um before we always kind of knew that would be the path that we went. I mean, we kind of chose the game and the design of the game based on that idea that this will be something that's interesting in a very nascent form. 
So we did a Kickstarter. We released like kind of like an alpha build right after that. So people are getting into it. And then by the time we did our Steam release, uh, early access, there were a lot of people who played the, that and kind of gave us a nice big boost there. So it's it's great for, uh, you know, not just earning revenue through the course of development, but kind of building that community over time, too. Because as we, you know, each time we do an update, people will come back and like check it out and do, you know, see what's new. And, uh, you know, it makes makes people a lot more forgiving of like, hey, this game's not done yet. Um, so, you know, <laughs> don't get too mad if you like find a bug or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and then the players can participate in that development, too, so that we take a lot of feedback from the community. So it gives them the opportunity to like, you know, represent and be uh, heard in what they want in the game as well. So there's there's a number of positives to players as well for that. Um, so really just that combination of like gives us revenue that itself will build the game. So like we tried to just do a release without early access, we would have had to find like some other funding source, but with this, we can just kind of bootstrap it in a way, just get the minimum product out there. It gets money. We make it to the next level, which makes it more money, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also just building the community, getting feedback from the community is, is equally as valuable. I'd say for the early access side of it. Uh, and then when we do finally get the game to a point where we're like, okay, this is pretty polished now, let's call it version 1.0. Mm-hmm. Then we have like basically a second launch. Cause you know, when you have a launch, it's really like tons of people come in and we get a whole new audience that's, you know, prefers a polished experience has been waiting for it to exit early access. Mm-hmm. So there's that kind of built in like button we can push at some point as well. So it's really just the, you know, steam as a, as a great system there, you know, they take a steep cut of 30%, but like, they just have, they just drive the audience so well. We just have this like constant kind of background people discovering the game through steam or friends or whatever, that it kind of fuels itself over time. So they, they definitely earn that 30%, I would say. Like even through your development from even as early release happened, you know, uh, the indie scene itself have been in a weird spot. I would say, right? So, you know, we the 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 super meat boys days, you know, where it's like a couple of guys can make something uh and 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 be able to be successful with that. And now we're in an age where if you have an idea that it's kind of like more encouraged to find a publisher, which is the more traditional route, but brings you know, you've been in the AAA space. It comes with all these baggage, right? That yeah, was the reason why a lot of people branched off and, and made their own game to kind of have more control. Um, and I still feel like we're in that stage and early release now is not a new idea, but now it's more attractive to a lot of developers who's mm-hmm. kind of been through the ringer of like, oh, yeah, publishers can be effective, but can be ineffective when trying to make the game that you want to make. Can you kind of speak to that yeah. a bit about like kind of seeing, well, Obviously, you guys are self-published, benefiting from it, went with your gut and was right about it. But, you know, I'm sure you kind of keep tabs of like, what's going on here? Like indie publishing? That sounds kind of like an oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> but I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about, you know, if people are trying to get into this now with the options available, with what's out there, what do you suggest um, mm-hmm. as a path forward? Yeah, with publishing, it's like you get this great boost of capital right at the beginning. So, like if we had taken a publisher early on, we could have had, uh, 
a lot bigger team from the beginning. We could have moved a lot faster, but that comes with the risks as well, because you kind of want a small team getting feedback, able to like iterate on it, find your core before you like dump a bunch of money onto it. So you don't go in the wrong direction with all that money. So there's actually kind of advantages to being small and scrappy. I think that if you take a publisher, you lose that because now you're like on a, you know, you have a rush to like get this game built because your publisher has like, you're on a timer. You know, yeah. Yeah. You're on a timer now and they, they have their quarterlies or whatever. They need you to ship by this date. So it adds a lot of pressure that, that can be counterproductive to discovering a game. And I think it depends what kind of game you're doing. If you're doing a game that has a lot of unknowns yeah. or that you want to kind of feel out with the community, which is what we were doing, then it makes sense to do the early access route to involve the community versus trying to like, get it right on the first try by dumping a bunch of money on it. But there's other types of games. If you're doing a more traditional game or a game that's already kind of has an established like formula to it, it might be a little less risky. Um, so we're, I'm not, I'm kind of not opposed to publishers now that, you know, eco is a little bit evolved. We could think about one for either eco or for whatever we do next, but also like the idea of, uh, you know, uh, VCs and like company investment. I think they're kind of, that aligns it more with what uh, what the long term goals are. You know, if it's not just yeah. project funding being funded, but it's the whole company being funded. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're we're looking at now. Uh, but these days, yeah, getting started, the industry has just matured so much. Like when I started Strange Loop uh, with my partner, there wasn't any like engines to use like unity wasn't really a thing so we built our own engine for our first game which is called vessel it's this liquid physics puzzle game and that took a friggin' long time mm -hmm. so that was basically like a hobby project of mine until i quit my job and just went full-time on it but for the longest time i just like building the property editing system in the like editor you know the, the but now unity like gives you all of that out of the box so you you have just such an easier way to kind of jump in and start making something right away and there's so many courses and ways to learn so it's really opened up the industry a lot wider so you have you can have a lot more interesting titles which i think is awesome and along with that you know maturing of the industry the financial side has matured as well there's a lot more publisher opportunities there's kind of various grades of publishers so like an indie publisher up to like you know triple a publisher there's like funding sources, there's angel investing. So there's this whole like ecosystem that you can plug into that didn't used to exist. And I think that's great. It just opens up lots of opportunities for like, what is the best route that fits what I want to do with my game? You know, I have options for these things. I can kind of learn this, this forest of different options and, and choose the best one for me. So maybe that's being a publisher. Maybe that's or working with a publisher. Maybe that's, just bootstrapping it as well. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of different options now, which I think is a good thing for games and players. Yeah, definitely. I, I think um, the number one thing with, with what you guys are doing is I feel like it's essential. <laughs> if it's like a game that you're trying to figure out and you're trying to be scrappy and I would love to kind of ask what your relationship with, your team's relationship with Steam, right? Because Steam itself as a platform is kind of indie and scrappy. <laughs> like Gabe and the guys, which is like Valve is only 200 people, right? Yeah. They put this together. They figured it out. They made it work. Became a force. Kind of disappeared a bit in terms of like making games themselves. Sometimes they make games. Sometimes they don't, right? 
they don't really have, you know, they have these summer sales, these sales that are successful, but they don't have like a big event, you know, to announce like, hey, these are, this is what we're doing with Steam, you know, indie yeah. publish, indie games, indie developers, check this out. This is what we're doing for you guys. They don't really, because maybe they don't have the resources. Maybe they don't just, they don't want to mess with something that's already working. They don't care to make any more money than they're already making. <laughs> right. right. So it's like this weird, like it's a mystery of how this works. And I'd yeah. love to kind of hear your insight about what you guys are currently doing with them, what that relationship was like, or mm -hmm. what you wish would be, you know, the case with them, because they can do, at least from an outside perspective, I feel like they can do a lot more. Um, given the time and just their dominance still still dominant in terms of for indie developers totally. yeah yeah they own the pc market basically yeah <clears throat> yeah it's um it's interesting because you kind of do a thought experiment of like what if steam were owned by ea or disney or something you know you can imagine that they would just melt the hell out of it yeah and like just massively expanded into all these different kinds of things which i don't i don't know it's a little risky too i mean kind of look at how it went with like star wars of like okay they kind of overdid that and the, yeah. the brand has suffered a little bit i mean they've made like umpteen billion dollars or whatever so it's it's been successful in that that way but like you can kind of overdo it and i feel that like steam's audience appreciates that reticence of the leadership of like, they're very focused in what they do. They provide this platform and they just do it really well. Consumers have so much trust in steam. You know, it's funny. Like if you launch on uh, the Epic game store, people just won't even buy it. Cause they're like, no, I don't want to split my library. I'm dedicated to steam. Yeah. And, uh, guilty of that. <laughs> yeah. That kind of uh commitment to a platform is like, crazy powerful so like shaking up the boat there, there's a lot of risk for them if they want to like try to do crazy weird stuff with it so i think they're kind of smart to be like all right let's let's you know be cautious with this let's be smart with this um it is kind of sad they're not they don't make as many games as they used to i mean they still do but i guess it's kind of hard to do when you have like a money printer in your back room called yeah. steam that <laughs> prints out like a billion dollars every day or whatever it is the motivation's not there yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's a little little hard to do that but i love that they're still private and they're still like you know they're pretty uh they're pretty tuned into the culture of games you know like they're really supportive of us when we got on there uh we had like direct uh, contact with them and they were helping us with like sales there and is stuff. interaction right. so this is where it's like kind of mysterious for people outside of this uh yeah process so they do kind of help in some ways um yeah we had a contact there so we kind of asked them questions and they could kind of give us advice and we could uh you know arrange sales and stuff um, so that was, that was super helpful. And I think that, you know, even though we're like a smaller game compared to like the giant games they have out there, they really put in the effort with us. And like, that means a lot. I think that they kind of understand that like, you know, indie games or smaller games can grow bigger. And also like you cultivate that they're kind of the avant-garde of your audience. People who are playing these indie games are like really, uh, 
you know, kind of tastemakers in a way mm -hmm. so that they can uh, cater to those people. They really set a good just precedence for the health of their whole ecosystem. Like if they didn't have Indies on the platform, I think the platform would suffer a lot. You know, yeah. it, it couldn't, it wouldn't survive as well if it were just like AAA mega games. Yeah. Um, so they recognize that and they, they kind of cater to smaller developers, which is, which is great. They, they know they're, the roots whereas i think like a bigger company would be like oh these aren't these aren't moving the needle like triple a let's just you know not waste our time on this we're going to do the stuff that's like making the most money it's like no steam is building a culture they understand the culture of games they want to bring out these like unique interesting games and be a platform that like promotes those yeah. so yeah i really respect that yeah i mean there's definitely a it, it's a weird um it's a weird admiration that i have for them right i mean there was a couple games during covid that just broke out right and yeah uh, fall guys you know we had joe you know lead designer on that 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 broke out oh, cool. uh, recently i just talked to max from the battle bits like these are games that i don't feel like how could you even make those games on anything else and it blow up the same way it did on steam right oh yeah and, and it's still very steam has this market down like i don't it's weird that you know with all these platforms and avenues the only place to kind of put your game out there and have an opportunity to blow up and people discovering it is, is still steam. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, that happy accident, whatever by design, but yeah. in a way it's kind of sad too. It's like, why is it the only source still, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, there used to be like Xbox live arcade back in like, yeah. 2010 or whatever where braid came out there's like yeah. a whole indie revolution on there but that's kind of less of a thing now now they're they're much more catered to the mainstream even the so, app store on on you know phones. yeah app store is pretty dominated by like you know the big candy big crushes companies. yeah whatever else and it's, it becomes very formulaic i mean apple kind of tried to like push against that with like apple arcade yeah. So there's, they kind of recognize too that the value of the like avant garde in terms of games. Uh, but Steam just really gets it and they've like, you know, cultivated kind of the PC gamer mindset of like, we like weird games. We like interesting experiments. You know, we want to like try new stuff. Very, very interested in like trying new stuff. So yeah, you see a lot more just variety and interesting stuff that comes out on PC. Yeah, um, I would like to do console at some point. I mean, it'd be a little bit of a, a tricky port, but uh, there's there's big audiences there too. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think the game you want to make, you really got to think about like what platform is this going to make sense on. Yeah. And if you're an indie or a smaller developer just getting started, Steam is a you know a really good first choice. I think. Yeah. Well, it's the only open lane that I see that that yeah. I, you know I have an idea I can push it. You know, the idea of early access yeah. is. It's very like, oh, so these are developers that understand developer needs and mm -hmm. providing that. Totally. Um, well, uh, yo, so we hit an hour. Uh, hopefully that was painless. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is the part where I kind of shut up and hand over the mic to you. I want to thank you on behalf of the audience for coming on. But I would love to kind of talk directly to them, how people could find you what exactly you want them to do uh the mic and floor is yours sure yeah so um 
Yeah, so our website is is play.eco. We have the custom domain eco. You just go and check out our, our game there. It's got a link to Steam. Uh, you can buy it on our website too. Um but uh yeah, I would just say just check out the game, see what we're doing. We're 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 planning some big things coming forward. We want to have a successor to eco that's kind of being concepted out right now and start to transition eco to becoming uh you know this connected space this like world of this like galaxies of worlds that are connected to each other so you can kind of see on our website our directions that we're going for there uh company strangeloopgames.com we have uh, i have some articles i wrote on just the idea of like players as citizens this idea that they're creating the value uh worlds of consequence worlds where you're actually doing something meaningful and then building these virtual societies within it so yeah, take a look at that and uh, it'd be great to, to hear your feedback. You know, people who are other game developers or just interested in game development. Uh, I think we're doing some unique stuff and it's always, always great to hear people's opinions. So yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, on behalf of everybody, man, I want to thank you for coming on and talking to me. Uh, I, if it, Longtime listeners know that I've been kind of like questioning trying to understand you know the buzzword metaverse i get it as a game developer i just feel like everyone's kind of been fucking up <laughs> the last yes. two years on it right so i think that's just the over sentiment of actual game developers who are looking at this is like what are you doing yeah you know i, I think what comes out next it won't, <laughs> it won't be called the metaverse like the metaverse name has kind of been like ruined i feel like it's been ruined yeah but the ideas are there and the ideas are going to be awesome when they like start to like emerge so yeah i'm excited well thanks for doing it right right i look forward to kind <laughs> cool. of seeing the updates and, and you know spreading the word and, and doing whatever i can to kind of help Definitely. Uh, but uh thank you and see you guys all next week thanks a lot Hello, everybody. Brandon here. I want to talk to you today about something very special. We've been on this wild ride together, haven't we? From my early days as a senior employee, feeling a bit lost, all the way to leading multiple studios, transitioning to smaller indie teams and to the mobile industry, and now running my own game studio for the last six years. Throughout this time, you've been here listening and learning along with me, sharing this never-ending journey of discovery. This year, I'm kind of on this quest of meeting serial studio founders, discussing acquisitions, or exploring what it takes to grow a studio to over 100 developers. I've always tried to find an exciting topic to delve into, and every year is a little different. The focus is a little different because that's where I am in my career currently, and I want to be able to share what I'm learning with you guys. So I've always been dedicated to asking the tough questions, bringing you insightful answers from industry leaders and experts. And now I want to share with you how I'm applying these answers to my own journey. This is why I'm excited to announce that for just $1.99 per month, you can now subscribe to our exclusive content series. These bonus episodes will give you a deeper look into my personal experiences and how I'm putting into practice what our esteemed guests are preaching. It's more of a personal side of the journey that I hope will show you that we're all in this together and we're all continuously learning. Whether you're a game developer, studio founder, or just a passionate gamer, there's something in it for everyone. By subscribing, not only will you gain access to this exclusive content, but you also be supporting the ongoing production of the regular programming. It helps keeps the lights on and ensures that I can continue bringing you top quality content and insight into the world of game development. The links to subscribe are in the description. Your support means the world to me and helps me keep doing what I love, sharing this journey with you. So show some love, hit that subscribe button, and let's continue this adventure together.
Thank you all for your continued support. And as always, stay tuned for more exciting content. Until next time, this is Brandon signing off. Thank <laughs> you.